I think that this is a watershed moment where we, if, we didn't, if we didn't learn from 2020 how fragile life is and how codependent we are on the planet and how intimately connected we are as a human family and how that needs to be prioritized more highly in terms of how we live our daily lives, then we've learned nothing. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that was we first founder and best-selling author, Simon Mainwaring, who brings optimism into the new year. In the sixth episode of the Keep It Real series, Mainwaring summarizes a volatile 2020, reveals his boldest predictions for 2021, and notes that the future is something we write every day. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome for the real Simon Mainwaring. Enjoy. Okay, in five, four, three, two, one. In a year where time has been extremely elusive and seemingly slow, there seems to be one place where it always flies by. Simon Mainwaring, welcome back to the Keep It Real series, my friend. We made it. Thank you. Thank you. I agree that time has been elastic in one sense this year. Sometimes it's drawn out, but invariably it just gets released and snaps you in the face where you're like, I can't believe that happened this year. So yes, a year of elastic time for sure. Don't tell my mother, but I got a little tattoo back in July. Really? And it's 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 an X and then there's a slash and there's two X's and there's another slash and then there's a 20 with a question mark. Because when I was writing the dates in my day planner that I do every day, I didn't know what day of the week it was. So, I, but I knew really? I knew one thing though, Simon. I didn't know it was 2020. Just don't ever get a tattoo. Tattoos are forever. That's what I tell my daughters. Tattoos are forever. Just like the internet never forgets, tattoos are forever. That's all I'll say. That's the that's the end of the parental uh, segment here today on uh, the end of 2020. Well, it's you know when I'm a parent, I got it so I can say, listen, kid, you don't know anything about 2020. Right. 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 Well, it's interesting. I have my two daughters because of COVID. My wife and I, we you know, sent them off to Australia about a month ago. They quarantined in a hotel for two weeks and now they're on their own. And they've had some a couple of tough moments on the way through and they call us and we WhatsApp each other and so on. And they're like, this is, we're really not happy about this or this is not a good situation. Can you help us? And we go, no. And they go, we know you're not going to help us because that's the whole point, right? And we're like, yes. And then we say goodbye. And it's so kind of fun in a way to kind of push the dinghy out to sea and see if it floats i love it i love it and, and a little metaphor for 2022 you're not getting any help you got to figure it yeah. out on your own how about know, we rehash right? 2020 okay in this episode let's bring in the new year uh i just want to start off with a couple of events now 2019 let's keep in mind here 2019 right. was also a crazy year it was a good 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 year but it was a crazy year in in january the united states president did get impeached and so that was going on all in 2019. And then and then in late January, the late and great Kobe Bryant passed away just to start. Oh, you're from 2020, yeah. Um, Kobe Bryant passed away. I think that was a really, you know, on top of the sort of the issue around the bushfires that had happened around the world and so on. Bushfires. People, yep. people were still reeling from that. But Kobe Bryant... I, you know, it was such a tragic loss of not only an incredible athlete, but just this generous human being. But also, 
It was a palpable demonstration of the power of a personal brand or a brand outright, where the strength and depth of that emotional connection was only truly revealed through that loss. And it was global and it was personal and it was moving and it, it, it crossed the industry, it crossed demographics, it crossed beyond you know the sport of basketball. And it just really reminded me just the responsibility that these larger than life figures have in our lives, you know? Absolutely. Now, do you remember where you were that day when Kobe passed away? I think I might have been at home just with my wife around the house. Um, no, I think I was at work. And it was like one of those news items where you're like, that's not possible. What? That's yeah. not true. It was that thing where you're like, no. And what? How does that even, it, you know, it was incredulity at first. You just couldn't even process it at first. And, um, and you know, I think it was kind of the, the overriding sentiment was we lost one of the good ones. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And that was really hard for everyone to take because the bushfires had already taken a lot out of people. Absolutely. You know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. You know, it was, yeah. it was a strange happening for myself as I was actually at uh, the Farmers Open. It's a golf tournament here in San Diego with all the professionals, Tiger Woods, Phil right. Nicholson. And I got this text message like, you know, TMZ reported. So at that time, I'm like, oh, TMZ, it can't be real. And then the whole golf course, you know, and golf courses, you whisper, the whole right. golf course was whispering. And then finally it got to the players and the tournament was just shot after that. It was just, there was no more news, but. <laughs> that, it is, it, it, it wreaked such emotional havoc with everyone and it stayed for a long time. I just found myself days and weeks afterwards just going, no, that what this how even a, few, you know, a month ago, I said to my wife, like, can you imagine this year? It's been so tragic and so on. And, and do you remember Kobe as well? I mean, Kobe's still gone. It's just crazy, just crazy. I mean, I, on top of so many things this year, it reminds you how precious life is and just take each day as a gift. I know it sounds trite, but it really is a reminder that you can't take anything for granted. It really does take, remind you of that. So I figured maybe what we could start off on today, Simon, is just breaking down 2020 in one word. Okay. Asking our guests to break it down in one word. Think about it. How would you describe 2020 in one word? What would you say? I would say breakthrough. Breakthrough. Ooh, I like that. Firstly, because... I don't think anything is served by looking at things in a negative way because I think every set of circumstances has an opportunity to unlock within it. Secondly, I think that things needed to break down as they were before they could be put to get back together in new ways. So I don't think of it as a breakdown. I think it was a breakthrough. And I do think that COVID and by extension, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests around the world have done two things. We saw business drop tools and re-engineer itself in service of medical practitioners and first responders, in service of their employees, in service of their communities, like never before on a global scale. At the same time, we were losing trillions of dollars on the stock market and millions of jobs around the world. And citizens around the world, consumers can't unsee that. And I also think at the same time, we're becoming acutely aware of how connected these issues are that we're one human family, that how we treat the planet affects our physical health, how our physical health affects our economic health. And, you know, that connectivity, which works in a negative sense, it really struck home to me this awareness that if we actually start doing things differently, we can use that same connectivity in a positive sense. And that if we solve for this little corner of our world or we solve for this problem, that can have a positive knock-on effect 
to other problems. So these forces don't need to work against us. They can work for us. And so I see it as a breakthrough to a new beginning, not just because people talk about a green or regenerative future and we need it, but because I think it's an awakening in global consciousness as to our mutual dependence on each other and how intimately connected we are to each other and our planet. And I think there's huge power in that. Love it. Love it. Mine was very similar, almost the same, perseverance. Right. You know, that's completely different. What are you talking about? Perseverance that's is silly. It's a per, you persevere. It's a breakthrough. Yeah. So I get in that sense, I guess. But I said perseverance because people have had to persevere through something they've never experienced before. There was no expert to say, hey, what do I do when a pandemic hits? Right. You know, what got in the way became the way. And that right. way was out of, you know, uh, pressure or or defeat or whatever it was you know for for many different people in many different ways so i said perseverance as a community as as a society um and and this covid uh, 19 thing it was just very humbling for a lot of different people it was and i almost think about it like there's a fire in your house God forbid any of us go through this, like, you know, but when there's a fire in your house, what do you run and grab first? Right. Do you grab your checkbook or do you grab your photo album? Mm. You know, back I'm old, we had photo albums back in the day, right? So, and I think what this crisis where our, it was a bit, the stakes were literally life and death and our communities were suffering and falling apart and so on, we all reach for each other. Mm. And we took care of each other. We grabbed that which meant most to us, which is our communities, our friends, our family, and we took care of each other. And I think that was a really powerful reminder of what's truly meaningful in our life, meaningful in our lives. I think everyone that experienced this is coming out tougher. You know, you, you ask about the fire question. There's an old uh, a story about Thomas Edison, his life's okay. work burning down in a fire. What? And, I didn't know that. Yes, and there's a famous uh, event that happened instead of running in to grab his, you know, IPs, running in to grab his inventions. His quill. His quill. He told his son, go get your mother. This is the best fire you'll, you'll ever see. So a change in mindset, a change right. in mindset, overcoming things, understanding that sometimes in life it's suffering and you got to accept that and move forward. I think it's something that a lot of people will get yeah, I think year. That's super, super powerful. And that's kind of, wow, that's a good reaction. Uh, Want to get some marshmallows? These flames are nice and hot right here, you know? Definitely. Yeah. Going deep today. And we've gone deep on this podcast, Simon. Just want to kind of, you know, also thank you for, for coming on this series. Oh. Uh, in July, we talked about success being an inside job. In August, we talked about is your business relevant in today's day and age? Uh, September, we kind of backed that off with um, or backed on top of that through how to build a movement with your brand. We brought up a lot of different right. examples, Ben and Jerry's being one of them, building on top mm-hmm. of movements uh, in October. How can capitalism be used to optimize for more than just profitability? You talked about how things have slowed down in your life, how Mm -hmm. the conversations uh, we just would have never had in the first place. And then in November, uh, social media's role in the world and self-interest versus self-interest. It's been a pleasure covering this year with you. What do you think's coming next? I think 2021 is going to be an interesting year. And I think there's different chapters in the narrative. I think obviously the political dimension has been kind of overwhelming for the last four years and even more acutely so around the election. At the same time, there's been this parallel narrative around COVID and we're now going into that vaccine chapter. But I do think, and no one has a crystal ball, but summer to Q3 next year, 
we're going to see a wholesale rise in optimism where we're going to look beyond this very dark chapter in America and around the world and start to look at the future with cautious optimism, in which case, what future? And there are various thought leaders and commentators out there that are exploring various scenarios of what our future can look like. And I think on the strength of the dialogue that's being driven by business leaders all around the world, academics, institutions around the need to better serve more people through a re-engineering of capitalism, there's going to be a very vibrant debate as to what that looks like, what future we want to you know, co-create and how we execute against it. And, you know, I'm doing some thinking and writing a new book to that end, but I think that this is a watershed moment where we, if, we didn't, if we didn't learn from 2020 how fragile life is and how codependent we are on the planet and how intimately connected we are as a human family and how that needs to be prioritized more highly in terms of how we live our daily lives, then we've learned nothing. Mm. And I think what we're going to see is as millennials and Gen Z come through, they're going to demand more from their employers and from the brands they buy from that they're more transparent and accountable. And I think that we're going to see a self-fulfilling prophecy. And what do I mean by that? I like that. The fu- I like to think that the future is a story we write every day by our choices, our actions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. The future is yet to be defined, yet we project out of fear and all these other things, you know, so often. But if we go about this with a breakthrough mentality where we get to consciously choose collectively the type of future we want to enable, and then we take actions to that end. That one positive action, how we make our product, what we take to market, who we work for, what companies we invest in, that will encourage more to do the same, which will encourage more to do the same. And that will start to unlock market forces that will increasingly reward the type of thinking and behavior we need to create a sustainable and regenerative future as opposed to the compounding negative effect we've had to date which is sort of this watershed moment of 2020. So I think 2021 is going to be a moment of self-determination individually as entrepreneurs and you know, leaders of companies, as citizens around the world, and you know, as a collective human family as to whether we really want to have a, a viable future or not. Now, let's, I want you to break that down a little bit more in terms of... Um fulfillment and meaning and happiness like where do you draw the line for where you see I guess where do you draw the line in terms of the difference between meaning and happiness like like for instance some people will say follow your passions you know do what makes you happy but what we're kind of finding here during this this you know difficult time is maybe more people are searching for meaning in their life meaning in their work how do you see this changing I think you know the last year, and it continues with the tragic loss of life every day here in the U.S., the, the, how fragile life is is very, very clear to us all. It's many times in the last year I've kind of gone, wow, this could all go away tomorrow. Kobe, this could all go away tomorrow. In which case, time is the only commodity that's finite. We can't make more of it. Every one of us just gets a certain amount of time. In which case, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to whittle away the hours worrying about whether we've got as much money as the next person or not? Or are we going to infuse that time with meaning? And so I think there's a rising consciousness, which you especially see if the data is true with millennials and Gen Z, that they value things less and they value experiences more. They want to kind of Mm. find meaning in their days. And so I think... As I move forward, I think increasingly we're going to see if the pendulum swung all the way 
to, you know, profit for profit's sake in the 2008 meltdown. And, you know, now the pendulum swung, swung all the way in terms of how we're treating the planet. Mm. I think my hope is that there'll be a pendulum swing back where we think, you know what, I'm going to, it's not about the race to have the most. It's about the ones who are really, it's about committing to actions and behaviors that will give your life the greatest meaning. And by meaning, I think people really, what they're looking for is that their time had significance, that where they showed up for work made a tangible difference, that they don't just wait to the end of their life when they've made some money to live their legacy, but they live their legacy every day. And so I think we can be selfish or self-interested in a healthy way by looking to invest our time in work and play that gives our time significance, that we made a difference to someone else's life, to our community. And this points back to the discussion we had earlier in the year. I really do think, um, you know, purpose and, and, and significance, it's an inside job. We've got to fill ourselves up through what we give to others. It's not about what we can collect from ourselves. It's not what about others say about ourselves. So that's, that's where I think it's going. I think there's this big seismic shift, this psychological shift going on, I hope, in which case what gives our life meaning will be uh, mm. uh, recontextualized. Who was it that said um, success without meaning is the ultimate failure? I think that was mm-hmm. Tony Robbins maybe. Yeah. One of those Absolutely. Quotes. Now, Absolutely. when businesses are looking at meaning in their organizations – is, the, is it wrong to measure something like that? Like, I, I would love to ask you, how do you mm-hmm. measure meaning, Simon? But yeah. is that the wrong way to approach this? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's interesting. Like you used to hear about hard skills, like am I a typist or soft skills? Do I have an emotional intelligence? Mm. Now, companies are being forced and leadership is being sort of challenged to quantify this intangible stuff like meaning. Why? Because we're, all, we're human beings and we, employers have to look at the whole human being. So in our work at WeFirst, what we do is like if we go into a company to show the value of our work, we do a series of surveys where you benchmark where people are now by asking, do you have a clear understanding of the purpose of the company you work for? And does that purpose inform your daily role? And does that purpose, you know, give that role meaning that is meaningful and valuable, you know, that is meaningful to you. And you ask these type of questions and you benchmark it. And invariably, you know, if you've got a company that isn't clear about that and then you do it six months after down the road after you've done the work with them or something else, that goes up. And so it's not actually that companies don't have it in the first place. They haven't articulated what it is. They haven't distilled it down. And there's one, there's one point I want to make about this. If you look at all these cultural flashpoints in history, where there have been watershed moments where there's been a seismic shift, for example, the, the moonshot, you know, with JFK or, you know, the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King Jr. At every pivotal moment in history, there's always someone who distills down a narrative that captures that pent-up appetite in culture and frames some language around it that people can then challenge or channel that desire or appetite into and that propels the movement. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the moon first with JFK. Or, you know, I have a dream with Martin Luther King Jr. And so I think in the same way, companies have to be very articulate about their purpose so that everyone within that company, if they want to work there, 
and they like what you stand for, they're clear about it. It's not some assumed assumption that no one's clear about, but they're clear about it. And they go, I work here because, and this is meaningful to me because, and I'm going to play my specific role in service of that higher order purpose, and that gives my life significance. And so I think measuring meaning is absolutely critical, and the challenge is not so much the measurement, just the fact that people don't realize how important it is to articulate what you stand for in the first place so we can measure against it. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that's done because for business owners, just traditional business owners oh. out there listening to this, you measure a financial statement, you know, you mm-hmm. have an, your P&L, you have an, um, an, a balance sheet, you have your assets, your liabilities, you know, your ass, you know, what you have versus what you owe. And then for impact, there's different types of measurements. And yeah, there within is. The, yeah. Within the impact measurements, you can add engagement and employee satisfaction. How specifically would you like? What would be a metric that you could put put on that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think the question is well taken, which is you have to hold purposeful or impactful intentions to the same level of accountability as you do financial ones. And think about it. Money, profit is institutionalized inside companies. You've got P&Ls, you've got balance sheets, you've got quarterly earnings, you've got stock prices. All of these things are the infrastructure that makes making money important on a daily basis to everyone in that organization. I've got to hit my numbers this month as a sales rep or whatever it is. If we are going to retool business, we've got to institutionalize purpose in the same way. So at a foundational level, you've got to articulate your company purpose. Then you've got to communicate that from the top down. Then you've got to celebrate and elevate those stories inside the company that demonstrate a commitment to that purpose amongst your employees. So that's bottom up. And then you've got to ritualize it where you've got monthly town halls or you know, all hands meetings or annual volunteer days, traditions that keep it alive because otherwise the purpose or impact of a company is like a balloon that gets cast up in the air and everyone looks at it and says, isn't that fantastic and pretty? And then it slowly sinks to the ground. So in the same way that you build in, you institutionalize profit, you've got to institutionalize purpose. And then to your point about metrics, most people think it's only about the impact you have, the do good stuff. And that can look like corporate social responsibility, how many meals were made through your partnership with Feeding America to in kids to kids in after school programs? It could be becoming a B Corp and how you actually measure your score to become a benefit corporation. It could be ESG, environmental, social, or governance metrics, where large companies are very transparently measuring their supply chain, their impact on various issues with metrics for each. Or it could be the sustainable development goals, which are these 17 goals that over 200 companies, countries aligned around in 2015 and said, these are the big 17 challenges on a global scale. How are you moving the needle against them? One final point on it. It's not just those impact metrics. If you're going to be responsible to a business, there are four quadrants of metrics. There has to be the business metrics, which is share price, profit, you know, bottom line profit. You know, it has to be, you know, um, the, your ability to go into new markets. The second vertical of metrics is your brand metrics. So your reputation you know, um, your share of voice in a given conversation in your industry, sustainability or otherwise. The third column is your internal metrics. 
your ability to attract talent, the productivity of your talent when they're there, and how long you retain that talent. And then the fourth vertical are those impact metrics. So when you think about how do you measure impact, you've got to look at it in a responsible way, in a way that actually serves the business as well as those other people's lives you're trying to improve. And so you need to look at it through the business, brand, internal culture, and impact metrics. It's so important. You know, I had a, a couple, I had an interesting guest on the show yesterday, uh, two interesting guests from Sweden. They were talking about the Swedish approach to business and how they've been doing this for years and how sustainability is always at the top of mind in the meetings, uh, in the conversations. It's not sustainability that they're implementing. Their whole business is just sustainable. Um, he said this for people listening, very similar to what you just said. If you're not making money on sustainability, then it's just greenwashing. So mm-hmm. for instance, if you go in to a company and you help them out with the brand, but they really don't go full in, mm-hmm. that would be just greenwashing. It's not full in. It's not going to work. Do you agree with that? I do only because the economies of scale are there. And what I mean by that is up till the last couple of years, in a lot of technologies, it costs more to do something sustainably. And, you know, we're talking about sustainability in very broad terms here. But, like, for those listening, it's just that you're being responsible to the resources you're using and the negative impact on the planet, you know, the negative externalities, as we call them. You know, so up till recent times, depending on which technology or product you're talking about or which supply chain, it might cost you more, 20% more to buy a product that is organic or you know certified in some way. It now seems we're at a moment where there's enough industry adoption across most industries where there's price you know parity. It's the same price to get something that's more responsible in the way that it's made. In which case, there's no argument to say that you shouldn't be sustainable, that you shouldn't re-engineer your supply chain to be more responsible, that you shouldn't, in the broader sense of sustainability, really embrace diversity and inclusion. And in terms of the innovation you do with your products, to make sure you innovate in ways that won't just do less harm, but will do more good. They call them net positive products, like, you know, Interface, the carpet tile company that actually has carpet tiles that draw carbon out of the air. So all of that is to say that we're now at a moment in time where you can put sustainability to work not only because the price is comparable to the alternatives, but storytelling around that is meaningful to your suppliers, to your employees, to your customers, to your consumers, and that should allow you to build your reputation, to mitigate risk from consumer or media activism, and also to win over consumers who are making conscious choices, especially if they're younger. So what advice then would you have for people listening to this about to go into 2021? Maybe they're putting some goals down for their company. Uh, They're thinking about ways that they can make a transition uh, because of all these existential problems that they've come to realize. What couple of steps or pieces of advice would you give these people? Yeah, it's a great question. There's two issues that every single brand needs to solve for. And this is really table stakes. One is the climate crisis. There is no issue more important than the climate crisis because the knock-on effect of that, which is a whole wormhole in its own right, is catastrophic and will compromise our lives in the short term and certainly our children's lives. Secondly, DI&E, diversity, inclusion and equity, or some people call it JEDI, justice, equity, diversity and inclusion. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement through this into stark relief around the world 
It is simply unconscionable and it creates systemic issues that don't just hurt those on the wrong side of you know, the prosperity equation, but hurts everybody. And it is just unconscionable and it's also just, it doesn't make sense. In which case, every single brand needs to solve for the climate crisis and for diversity and inclusion. With that in mind, then you need to look at what is true and authentic to you as an entrepreneur. You as a solopreneur sitting in a kitchen table starting your latest e-com company because you have some idea that your friends liked and you thought could go to market, or if you're the CEO of a Fortune 100 company with 200,000 employees, you need to be honest with yourself and say, where are we most authentically best qualified to lead? And then secondly, define what your unique point of view is on that issue. And then thirdly, do an internal audit of your company as to how you're showing up in and around that issue. So you're qualified to walk, you know, you can walk the talk and you're qualified to speak to that issue. And then fourthly, go out to market and drive that conversation out there and partner and collaborate in new ways to take it to scale. You had a guest on, just to go off the back of that, you had a guest on from Ben and Jerry's and he was talking about um, instead of creating your own campaign, join one that's already out there. What are your thoughts on that based on what you just said? Yeah, I have a podcast called Lead With We and you can check out this interview at leadwithwe.com and it was with Jay Curley who is the director of integrated marketing at Ben and Jerry's. And Ben and Jerry's are one of those companies that have this masterful ability to address at scale several issues and also maintain that authenticity and legitimacy and a sense of humor as you see in their products and so on. And the way they do that is they say the last thing the world needs is a brand, big or small, tiny company, big company, going out there and saying we are committed to issue X and we're going to lead a movement around that. Because typically that movement, the life cycle of that movement is limited to the ad spend of that campaign. And then they're like, oh, well, thank you very much. We, it's not that we don't care, but we didn't put any media weight behind it. And so good luck with that. Mm. Or, you know, sometimes because there's a hangover of this advertising mentality, it's optics management. You know, you saw around the Black Lives Matter protests, all these brands come out and put very well-intended ads out there, but they got called out on a lot of them because it was like, oh, we're speaking to the issue, but hey, show us your board. Show us the diversity in your board. In which case, what he was saying, companies are far better served by being authentic, defining the issues they care about most, and then looking to those organizations on the ground, those boots on the ground that are best qualified to address it. And that's why Ben and Jerry say that they're a social justice company that happens to make ice cream. Mm. So they're in service of social justice. And so they go out there and whether it's climate change, GMOs or any, you know, racial inequality, they go out there and they work with these organizations and they just rally their resources and their community to combine with that movement. And therefore, there's greater legitimacy. It's sustained for a longer period of time. And also the results are going to be more assured because the people best qualified to you know, get those results are at the table as well. And I think it's a really, really compelling argument and it served them incredibly well. You know, I don't know too much about Ben & Jerry's. Love their ice cream. Uh, eat it a lot. But is that CSR? Is that, what would you, would you define that as integrating impact into their organization? Are they seeing growth and, and sales from that? I, I look at that question differently. I think that, that, you know, business, the presumption of business especially since the 1950s 
onwards. There's always been a presumption that business was supposed to do good, but I say the 1950s because media came along and it was so powerful that we almost became drunk on the power of media because we could convince people what to think and buy, whether it was good for them or not. And we got drunk on that. Mm. And so we started to be disingenuous and manipulative in our behavior and so on. And really, I think now what's happening over the last several decades with you know, CSR, sustainability, purpose, they're all different expressions of peeling back these disingenuous layers, like an onion that we sort of wrapped around our good intentions because we realize we've overplayed our hand, the planet's in trouble, society's in trouble. So I would say that what Ben and Jerry's is doing is just a much more authentic expression of what is really the original intent of business, which is to play a meaningful role, to add value to people's lives. They just consciously chose to do it with a more protagonist mindset, the same way that Patagonia does around public lands and other issues, because they're trying to solve for things that are really critical really quickly. And they don't think we have the luxury of being dancing around the issues. And so is it corporate social responsibility, CSR? No, I think, you know, purpose is not something that sits off to the side. Traditionally, you'd have the business and you make your product and you get your dividends or whatever. And then CSR was off to the side. It might be a cause program. It might be philanthropy. What I think Ben and Jerry's is doing is they realize their core purpose is social justice. And this is an expression of their commitment to social justice. And the way the tool of their trade, the way they rally people around these issues is by making the best damn ice cream in the universe. And I think it's in that order. Now, all that's their words. That's their word. The best damn ice cream in the universe. You know, I got it. No, that's a a great brief. Um, Very complex problems. All of them. Very complex problems. I agree. We need to start, fund, try to figure out ways to solve these problems. Racial and injustice. How do you solve that problem? And is this, how big is it? How do you solve it through action? Racial justice? Well, there's a couple of things we've got to do. Firstly, we need to stop and take a beat because by action or inaction, explicitly or implicitly, consciously or unconsciously, we are all complicit in this issue. There is no company that is not. Because this systemic racism and social injustice would not have occurred if we didn't enable it. You know, we didn't get bad results with the best of intentions. We got exactly the results that were intended. And we need different goals for business. And so I think what the Black Lives Matter movement in recent times has shown us with the corporate response out there is that optics are one thing, but concrete real actions are very, very different. And I've been very encouraged in some of the DI&E work that we do that companies are really showing up and auditing themselves. So how do you create a result? Firstly, you assume responsibility and you educate yourself about the issue. There are a number of films and books that you can look at because unless you had to been directly affected by this issue and lived generationally in the, you know, in the face of this issue, you are not qualified to speak to it or really to solve for it. You know, you've got to recognize that you're going to need partners to that end. And so with that sober assumption of responsibility and internal audit about what you're doing, you can then think about, all right, how are you going to respond? And the first thing you've got to do is get your own house in order. Make sure 
not just that your organization is diverse, but that it is inclusive in the way that it hires, in the way that it promotes and recognizes and incentivizes people. And all the data is there to support the people of color, black and brown people, that whole diversity only adds value. It just doesn't make any sense to have it any other way. And then once you've got your own house in order, you need to make an immediate commitment to patent interrupt what's been going on up till now. And then you need to make a long-term commitment and actually publicly hold yourself accountable periodically as to the progress that you're making. And to do that most effectively, you can't do it on your own. You need to have another partner out there that can work with you that is best equipped to guide you in this issue. Mm -hmm. And there are so many organizations that have been doing boots on the ground, community work for decades that are profoundly and deeply committed to this work and so much better equipped to help people navigate, you know, the shift in thinking and behavior and awareness we need before we can even take the actions, you know, and um, I have to say, you know, I've gone through this experience myself, you know, as an Australian, and I don't mean to do any disservice to Australian men. I came out of Australia and it's kind of a little bit of a, um, it's a male culture, shall we say. Mm. And, and as a father of daughters, I really had to learn on the way through that I needed to adjust my thinking. Because what was okay often over there, not always, but often over there, was not okay with me anymore. Mm. And I'm just sort of volunteering that. In the same way, you know, I'm, I'm married to a woman of color, an Egyptian woman who was born in Alexandria in Egypt. And I had a huge learning curve in spending a lot of time in Egypt and places around the world that are very different to where I grew up, Sydney, Australia. And that was a learning curve. And not to overstate it, but... You know, it was a direct experience in understanding, wow, other people's experience of life is very different. There is no right or wrong way. We are all in this together and we need to do a better job of serving everyone equally, both from an economic opportunity point of view to the, the workplace and so on. And so I think, you know, assuming responsibility, doing internal audit and finding those right partners and making short-term and long-term commitments is, is absolutely critical. And then that's an individual company and we do it collectively. I love that. Getting your house in order first before you make a change, a difference. Also, I want to kind of tie that into cultural experiences. Maybe we talked, touched on it a little bit earlier in a couple of episodes, but having the ability to live through other other people have lived through grown up with surround themselves by is something that's very difficult to do but so necessary and there was a ceo on from a major airlines he was a swedish ceo and he he was uh, talking about sustainability why they're going sustainable and why wow. aviation is so important and we're finding right now aviation is important because people need to travel they need to go like your daughters and go experience different cultures do things on their own so i guess the question would be how do you build a culture of uh of of understanding how do you build a culture of understanding i do think travel is a critical component i think it's you know you need to walk a day in other people's shoes I'll, i'll give you an example when you know the first time i went to egypt it was a really interesting experience because you know the call to prayer goes up five times a day and suddenly you're the only one standing up on the street as other people go down to pray. And you suddenly realize, wait a second, there's other versions of life out there. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but if we're all honest with ourselves, we do walk around for much of our time assuming 
as if, you know, our way of looking at life is the right way or the best way. And that was a real wake up call where suddenly I felt like the odd one out. When I looked around, when I'm in, you know, um, in the center of Cairo and every single person in every direction, every man, every woman is pointed in a similar direction and, and, you know, really recognizing their responsibility to something higher than themselves. And so I think travel is very, very important. I think the web and social media has really made it the world accessible in ways that were unimaginable before. But, um, and I also think we need to open up conversations, difficult conversations around our shared humanity. I think, I'll give you an example. I won't mention the company, but after the murder of George Floyd, one of the clients that we work for, a large fashion brand, they just opened up a listening session inside their company, just just made it available to employees, not knowing if 10 people would turn up or whatever else. 1,200 employees joined this listening session just to hear each other talk and the feelings that were showing up in them. And then they had another session and there were 1,700 employees that turned up. And I think, you know, when I talk about this year being a breakthrough rather than a breakdown, mm. We are exposing so many issues. We are lancing the wounds. The systemic racism and those who are defending it in this country have really been thrown into the spotlight. And I think that better equips us to work together and to drive change because we know what we're dealing with instead of being hidden in the shadows all the time. So I think it's difficult conversations being had. I think it's travel. It's about a whole mindset of being open to others and really recognizing and embracing our shared humanity. I love it. And and recognizing that's the obstacle and that must be the way. Let's go approach that, understand these issues a little bit more and solve them as a whole. Now, solving these problems is going to take a long time. But I think the message is what we want to have in 2021 is solving these now, not waiting for inventions to come. Solving these problems now, these existential issues, before we have patchwork policies to clean up the mess. Simon, what are your hopes for 2021 in terms of uh, uh, the private sector getting things done? Oh, the private sector. You know, um, I am very encouraged. Do I sound like a really irrational optimist as opposed to Bill Gates who's an impatient optimist? I, you know, I just don't think any of us are served well by being pessimistic about things. We have to change things because we have no choice or we as a species are out of business. So given that, let's go like hell. So what do I expect out of 2020? The reason I'm so optimistic is this. For years and for the last 10 years of we first, you know, doing this work, we've talked about a better version of capitalism which serves more stakeholders, all stakeholders, um, more effectively. Now, we had the current practice of capitalism in all its different forms. I mean, capitalism is many different forms. But, you know, capitalism more broadly has been serving a, a, a small number of people, and those at the top have got even wealthier, especially during the pandemic and so on. And that has come at the cost of the vast majority of people who are really struggling to survive. So if the presumption is we want to create capitalism that actually makes life viable, for everyone and the planet, then let's talk about that. Now, for that to be possible, you need to have an alternative practice of capitalism, another engine of capitalism. And up till now, we haven't had the requisite people at the table to make that possible. What do I mean? We might have had entrepreneurs with their social enterprises wanting to do good. We might have had Unilever and Ben and & Jerry's and Patagonia and everyone pointing at them and saying, we love you guys because you're doing the right thing. But we haven't had all the stakeholders at the table 
needed to make that possible. We haven't had suppliers. We haven't had investors. We haven't had, you know, CEOs and business. We haven't had employees. We haven't had customers and we haven't had consumers all at the same time. And so we have never had a viable alternative to the longstanding practice of capitalism in a broader sense, because it's like, oh, we've got, we've got, I don't know, I'm not a car person. We've got one part of the engine and another part of the engine. And people are like, well, that's not an alternative engine. You've just got a couple of parts. But now we've got all the pieces of the engine together. And when you have all of those pieces, you can unlock the market forces that will drive change in the biggest industries, fashion, textiles, energy, because consumers are now making conscious choices because they look at the web and their smartphones every day and they're terrified. And so companies have to retool the products they're making. Meanwhile, companies have to address climate change because their supply chains are being absolutely pulverized by climate crisis. So it's really in service of you know, upstream with their supply chain and downstream with their customers, companies have to change. So if they're changing, they're gonna be encouraged to change by investors. And then suddenly the capital markets will start to reward companies and put companies at the top that are really building a sustainable and regenerative future. And so all of that is to say that we can't do it alone. We need all of these various stakeholders coming to the table. And only then do we, for the first time, have a viable alternative to the longstanding practice of capitalism, which has served an increasingly small group of people, in which case we've got our best chance of hope we've ever had but we need to do it together and we need to go like hell. Simon, what's the secret sauce to bring these different people together to achieve this common goal? You know, it's a really good question. And I'll tell you why, because I think it's often overlooked. You know, those marketing people, those people who sell your stuff, you know, those snake oil salesmen by another name. I was one of them for 18 years. Um, I think it's all about storytelling. You know, until JFK gave us our vision of a moonshot, you know, it unlocked a decade of innovation in the U.S. Until Dr. King talked about I have a dream, people couldn't project their own personal dreams, our collective dream, into that articulation of that vision. And I think increasingly we're going to need storytelling, not just by brands, but by NGOs, civil society, government, schools, churches, we're going, I mean, the Pope just gave an amazing TED Talk about climate crisis. And that's hugely powerful because it reaches billions of people who listen to what he says around the world. And so we've got to build a choir of change, a coalition of storytellers that come together to inspire us not only to think in new ways, but to behave in new ways. Mm. And when we do that, then this coalition that's at the table can unlock the momentum behind that self-fulfilling pro- prophecy where I'm going to do, I'm going to make different choices and we're going to make more good products and we're going to do net positive products and we're going to, re- investors will reward that and incubate those new companies and it'll build and it'll build. And it is astonishing how fast we can go if you just look at 2020 and see what business did when it had no other choice. And that's why I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm excited for 2021 uh, on the seventh episode of the Keep It Real series. Simon, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. We talked about a lot in July, August, all the way through November. And in December, we talk about coming together as people, as all different stakeholders to agree on a common interest through storytelling. Simon, been a pleasure speaking with you this year, my friend. And best of luck in 2021. 
Same to you, Kevin. Thank you to everyone who, who listens in. And hey, let's do this together. It's the, it's, it is our moonshot. It's the greatest opportunity that's ever been handed to us. And I know that we can do it together. We need you people. And now where are people going to find more information about the We First mentality? Well, two things. You know, I've got a book coming out next year. If you go to leadwithwe.com, leadwithwe.com. And you can also um, listen to our podcast, leadwithwe.com, and you'll learn from all these incredible business leaders. Tune in. I learn so much from every one of them. And the reason we do it is to equip you with their expertise so that you can drive profit and growth by doing, by doing good. And then we can all combine our efforts and we can, we can meet these challenges with equal force. So leadwithwe.com. And, and lastly, Simon, are you a goal person in 2021? Are you setting new goals or do you believe in that? You know, coming back to your question about significance, the only way that I make sense of goals right now is to give of myself in the greatest sense at a time when it's most urgently needed. And so doing the book, doing the podcast, doing it, my goal is to, to, to be in the arena, to leave it on the mat, to, to get out there and in a balance with my health and my family and my friends and my kind of sense of spirit or whatever, just to do everything I can in partnership with all the other great entrepreneurs and thought leaders and academics and business leaders out there doing stuff just to, to leave it on the mat. And if you're, you know, if you're exhausted at the end of 2021 and you've just got it out there as hard and as fast as you can, that's success. I love it. Well, let's keep it going in 2021, folks. Folks, this episode is going to be edited and uploaded to all of our podcast channels on Sunday. That's right, folks. On Sunday, you will see this episode pipeline. So make sure you hit the link in this chat box over here to subscribe to the Real Leaders Podcast. Folks, we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did for Simon Maywaring of We First. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Simon. Keep it, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And no matter if you're joining this episode for the first time or if you're a lifelong loyal listener, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for making this show possible. It's been a crazy 2020 and this show would not be able to go on if it weren't for you. We've hit some tremendous strides in 2020, our viewership increasing 300%, ranking all the way up to the top four, I think we were, yeah, number 14 in US business and news at one point throughout the year. So just wanna appreciate you all for tuning in, whether it's on a weekly basis, whether it's on a walk, whether it's before a meeting, we hope that we're doing you justice and making sure that you can become a real leader. Just to recap, though, a few of my favorite episodes of 2020 are up on realleaders.com. That's right. All you got to do is go online to real-leaders.com slash podcast, and you can check out the top 10 episodes of 2020. To recap with number 10, we have the episode with Devin Still, former NFL defensive end went through uh, so many surgeries that he shares with us uh, that uh, hurt his chances at performing to the top of his potential in the NFL and then all of a sudden his daughter is diagnosed with cancer an incredible story that shook the nation uh, back in 2014 
Also, folks, Blake Morgan, number nine, jump out of bed to serve your customers. An interesting episode about what companies are getting wrong when it comes to their customers and how you can transition to make your organization more customer-centric. Number eight was with Siri Lindley, crossing the fear line. A tenacious triathlete who played sports in college and then, you know, kind of just said, hey, I want to become a triathlete. Stepped out, you know, and uh, defied her fear, got over the hump. And after her first marathon, when she finished last, running across the finish line with her helmet on still from the bike, being laughed at, she ended up surprising the world and winning two more world championships number seven was with akon uh, an episode we did we did back in february uh this is our second interview with akon and he is working relentlessly on building out the akon city it's a futuristic eco-friendly city in western africa in senegal uh, where they're accepting currency as uh, a coin Uh, First city to do that. So very inspiring story. And it's all for the benefit of our planet. Time will tell to see if it works out. And then number six, you just heard from him, Simon Mainwaring, the Keep It Real series number one episode. Uh, The first time is always the best time, right? So, you know, an interesting episode with Simon. I'm glad we were able to hang with him throughout the entire year and, and cover the major events from a leadership perspective. Number five is with Lisa Bodell on how to kill conformity. Is most of your day spent online answering emails or in meeting? Mine are. How do you change this approach, especially when working remotely? Lisa Bodell, a great example of a leader helping company organizations think outside the box to kill conformity. Number four was with, this is a funny episode, folks, with Ben Newman, motivational speaker. Uh, Where does your burn come from? What's the origin of what drives you? Number three was with best-selling author Larry Wingett, five uncompromising values. Values, folks. Be a value-driven organization. How important are values? We learned a lot about that this year from every single leader. Number two on the list is John O'Leary, Why Not You? That's episode 118 if you want to check it out. Very inspiring story with John who survived uh, a fire uh, and, and lost uh, parts of his hand. It really impacted his self-esteem, motivation, and it wasn't until his father came into his bedroom and told him, John, why not you? Why not you, John? An interesting and emotional story. So if you want to listen to that episode, it's on episode 118. Lastly, folks, bringing in the new year at number one is Drew Hanlon. True happiness is inner peace. It's MBA skills development coach and CEO leadership coach Drew Hanlon putting his stance on leadership. Folks, thanks again for being a part of this Real Leaders community. It's been a special year for this podcast. We're going to continue to do our part and bring on the best of the best leaders in the world. And if you want to be a part of that conversation, go online to realleaders.com slash podcast live events and RSVP for an upcoming episode with a real leader, folks. We're having on Seth Goldman, founder of Honest Tea, 
uh, founding partner at Plant uh, Beyond Beyond Meat, and now with his new initiative and company, Eat the Change. It's going to be in February, folks. So get to hear from notorious social entrepreneur Seth Goldman in February. You want to RSVP and learn some knowledge? Go online again to realers.com slash podcast slash live events. Thank you all for making this year so special and we hope to continue in the new year. May these holidays bring you all peace, joy, uh, enjoy your times with your family, be in the moment. I know a lot of you are going through a hard time right now. Take some time to self-reflect, understand who you are, what your why is, and opportunities are going to open uh, for you and your vision, your purpose, the daily things that you do are going to become much more clear. Thank you all. I love you so much. And always, keep it real.